1: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. It's 3 o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this... You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Our own information
2: from the everyday to the deeply personal is being weaponized against us with military efficiency. When the CEO of Apple went to Brussels and blasted other tech giants like Google and Facebook for ignoring their customers' privacy, Tim Cook was endorsing a tough new data protection law in Europe that he'd like to see brought to the United States. It's given Europeans much more control over their personal information than Americans have, and it's making Silicon Valley very nervous.
3: Travel as deep into the Earth as man has ever traveled, two miles down, to get to the veined rock that becomes this, liquid molten gold. But gold's not all. Scientists have found something else down here, something known as extreme life, which might also exist on Mars.
4: So the Martians we meet in the future... Be prepared to be surprised, I would say.
1: heard something about a one-handed linebacker playing in the nfl as downfield the play is made you may know that shakim griffin has a twin brother who stars on the same team intercepted by Shaquille griffin that's one remarkable story right well wait until you hear the story about the childhood pact between the twin brothers <laughs> that exist to this day
2: i'm steve croft i'm leslie stall i'm scott Pelley. i'm anderson cooper
3: i'm sharon alfonsi i'm bill whitaker those stories tonight on 60 minutes
5: what's your next adventure everyone deserves a chance to do what they love pacific life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones plans change over time and your financial solutions can too That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com.
2: This has not been a great year for big tech on Wall Street or in Washington. For decades, companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon have made vast sums monetizing the personal information of their users with almost no oversight or regulation. They're still making vast sums of money, but public attitudes about their size and power and their ability or willingness to police themselves are being called into question. A consensus is developing that something has to change, and once again, the impetus is coming from Europe which is becoming the world's leader in Internet privacy and data protection. With a 31-year-old lawyer as the catalyst, the European Parliament has enacted a tough new law that has Silicon Valley scrambling to comply and pressuring lawmakers here to do something about protecting your data. Seven times this year, Big Tech has been called on the carpet to answer for data breaches, fake news, political meddling on the Internet, and the endless amounts of personal information being gathered on Americans. I don't want to vote to have to regulate Facebook,
0: but my God, I will. The era of the Wild West in social media is coming to an end.
2: The question is no longer whether we need a federal law to protect consumers' privacy. The question is what shape will that law take? In Europe, they already have a law in place. After levying multi-billion dollar fines against Google for anti-competitive behavior, the European Union enacted the world's most ambitious Internet privacy law. Good morning. Even winning support from the CEO of the biggest tech company in America, Apple's Tim Cook. This is surveillance. And these stockpiles of personal data serve only to enrich the companies
0: that collect them.
2: Speaking in Brussels, Cook did not say which companies he was talking about, but Apple wasn't one of them. Its business model is making and selling phones and computers, not marketing personal information for advertising like Google and Facebook. Our own information from the everyday to the deeply
0: personal is being weaponized against us with military efficiency. It is time for the rest of the world, including
2: my home country, to follow your lead. Most people would agree that the point man in Europe has been a spiky-haired, 31-year-old Viennese lawyer named Max Schramms, who's been inflicting misery in Silicon Valley for the past seven years. He not only brought international attention to the issue of data privacy, he brought big tech lawyers into court. In the information age, he says, data is the most important commodity. The question is, who does it belong to? Who owns your data?
0: The legislation here says it's you that your data belongs to. You should have control you over it. You should have control over that. However, in an environment where there is no such law, basically, whoever factually has the power over it, which is usually the big tech company, um, owns it in that sense. Max Schrems was a
2: major force in drafting the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, It became law in May after a long battle with big tech and every company that does business in Europe, including the most powerful ones in America, must comply. It was designed specifically to ensure that consumers, not tech companies, have control over the collection and use of their own personal information. What kind of new rights does this law give European citizens that people in the
0: United States might not have? The default under the European system is you're not allowed to use someone else's data unless you have a justification. And the result of that is that you have rights like a right that you walk up to a company and say, delete everything you have about me. Um, You have a right to access, so you can say, I want to have a copy of everything you have about me. And all of these little elements in the law overall are meant to give you that power over your data that um, in an information society we should probably have.
2: And right now in the United States, you have none of those legal
6: rights. Americans have no control today about the information that's collected about them every second of their lives.
2: Jeff Chester is the executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy. He's been a major voice on digital privacy for two decades and says the only Americans guaranteed privacy on the Internet are children under 13. He says there are some limitations on some specific medical and financial information. But the Internet has rendered
6: them obsolete. There are no rules. There's not a government agency really protecting them. Any, the companies can do whatever they want in terms of gathering our information and using it in any way they see fit. How did the big tech companies come to collect all this information? No one ever told them they couldn't collect it all. There'd been no limits at all ever established.
2: And that's what's going along with GDPR Somebody's saying you
6: can't. That's exactly right. GDPR says you can't collect it without permission. The big
2: tech companies have always argued that consumers have given them permission to take their personal data in exchange for using the product. It's buried in the fine print on those long, impenetrable online privacy agreements that you have to click on. Max Schramm says it's not free choice, but constitutes coercion under the new European law. On the day it was enacted, Shrem's nonprofit group, None of Your Business, took action against Facebook and Google for allegedly violating
0: European privacy laws. It's this take-it-or-leave-it approach. You know it whenever you open an app, it says, agree or don't use the app. And your choice is basically not existent because either you go offline um, or you have to agree. Shrem cited the example of
2: Google's Android operating system, the software which runs up to 80% of the world's smartphones. But to use one, you must first activate it and give
0: Google consent to collect your personal data on all of its products. You paid 1000 bucks right now, and you're not allowed to use your 1000 bucks phone unless you agree that all the data goes to someone else. Um, and that is basically forced consent. The tech companies say, look, you, the user, you gave us permission mm. to take this information, yeah. to use it the way we wanted to. You agreed to it. And you then- signed on. You made and- the deal the individual doesn't have the power, the time, the legal expertise to understand any of that. And then you're sitting at home at your desk and have the option to only say yes. This is not what any reasonable person would consider a fair deal. Shrims has been waging
2: this battle since 2011 when he spent a semester in California at Santa Clara University School of Law. A lawyer from Facebook told his class that Big Tech didn't pay any attention to European privacy laws because they were
0: rarely enforced, and that the fines were very small. It was obviously the case that ignoring European privacy laws was the much cheaper option. Um, The maximum penalty, for example, in Austria was 20,000 euros. So just a lawyer telling you how to comply with the law was more expensive than breaking it.
2: At the time, most people had no idea how much personal information was being collected on them. So when the 23-year-old Schrems returned to Austria, he decided to ask Facebook if he could see what they'd collected on him.
0: If you go into a couple of details... for By
2: mistake or miracle, um, someone at Facebook sent him this stack of information, lifting the veil on the extent of the company's interest in him.
0: And after a while, I got a PDF file with 1,200 pages after using Facebook for three years, and I'm not a heavy user or anything like that.
2: Um, Facebook had created a dossier of Max's life that included his location history, events he attended, all of his contact information and his private Facebook messages, even the ones he thought he had deleted. So these were personal conversations Mm. you had that you thought were between yourself and the other person?
0: Yeah. Um, Um, And they're all here? They're all here and they're basically undeletable. It created a huge stir at the time, but it's nothing compared
2: to what's being gathered now. Today, Facebook collects information on people who don't even have an account. Google's Android software knows whether the user is walking, running, or riding in a car. And Amazon is patented algorithms that could be used on its Echo smart speaker to listen in on continuous conversations and even read the mood of people in the room.
0: The reality is that this industry is so fast moving right now. Even if you have perfect enforcement mechanisms, usually they will get away with it um, unless there is a serious penalty.
2: Today, if one of the big tech companies chooses to ignore Europe's new data protection law, it could cost them 4% of their global revenues, which for the biggest companies would mean billions of dollars. Those decisions will likely be made here in Dublin, the busiest of Europe's 28 data protection centers and the place where most American tech companies have their European headquarters. They flocked here years ago because of Ireland's low corporate taxes in its reputation for relaxed regulation. Ireland's Data Protection Commissioner, Helen Dixon, says it's not going to be business as usual.
0: U.S. Internet companies have no doubt that this law is serious, it has serious bite, and all of them are eager to uh, avoid any engagement with that.
2: How would you describe your relationship with these companies right now? Is the relationship cooperative or contentious?
0: It's all of those things in any one week. Nice to meet
4: you.
2: Dixon says tech companies are spending tens of millions of dollars hiring lawyers, compliance officers, and engineers to make sure they're operating within the law. The data protection authorities have only a few thousand employees in Europe to police some of the most powerful companies in the world. But they have subpoena power, can conduct raids, and even shut down operations. Do you think the big tech companies, the people in Silicon Valley, are taking this seriously?
5: I think they have to. Owen
2: O'Dell is a law professor at Trinity College in Dublin and a leading expert on European privacy law. law. He says Europe has now established an international standard for Internet privacy, and companies like Facebook, Google, and Amazon are not about to retreat from a $17 trillion market.
5: We have uh, safety standards in cars, but that hasn't stopped us driving cars. We have emission standards for, uh, for the gas in the cars, but that hasn't stopped us using the gas in the cars. The data companies are uh, going to comply in the same way as the uh, car companies have complied. To stay in business? To stay in business.
2: Since the European privacy law was passed, at least 10 other countries have adopted similar rules. So is the state of California. Perhaps sensing the inevitable, Facebook, Twitter, Google, and Amazon are now saying they could support a U.S. privacy law if they were given considerable input. The Internet Association, which lobbies for big tech, and its president, Michael Beckerman, say they would support giving Americans reasonable access to their information and some privacy rights now enjoyed by the Europeans. From your point of view,
0: who owns the data that's collected? I think individuals should have complete control over their information. You should have access to it, both how you're giving it in the online world and offline world, and full transparency on who has the information and what you're getting for it. But who owns it? People should have control over it. I don't view it as an ownership, you know, the way you're, the way you're asking it, but I think the, individual- the Europeans do. The Europeans says it's a, it's a right.
2: You own your information. We you have-, you have a right to go to the companies and say, I want
0: this information. Under the law that we're pushing and the rules that we're pushing and what our companies already do, people can download the information, their personal information that they've shared with the sites, and delete it if they want and cancel their accounts.
2: Privacy advocate Jeff Chester says the industry wants people to believe that it's cooperating and open to change, but that it won't do anything until it's forced to by law.
6: This is simply a bait-and-switch in terms of protecting privacy in America today. The companies have no intention of supporting a privacy law that actually would stop them from collecting our information and give Americans the same rights the Europeans now have.
3: Over the years at 60 Minutes, we have been in more than a few tunnels. We explored Mexican drug lord El Chapo's subterranean escape routes, burrowed through a Roman villa buried by Mount Vesuvius and traveled the depths of the New York City subway. But nothing prepared us for a place called Moab Kotsong, a South African gold mine that extends nearly two miles beneath the surface. In their pursuit of gold, South Africans have dug the deepest holes on earth. The country was the world's top gold producer for decades. Now the gold is running out. Just as these ultra-deep mines have attracted a new breed of miner on a very different quest, we went along for the adventure. In the early morning light, tall mine shafts loom over the Val River basin two hours southwest of Johannesburg. This once was a booming gold field. Now most mines lie abandoned. But Moab Kotsong is bustling. Long before the sun rises, Thousands of miners start lining up to the triple-deck elevator called the cage. It's jammed, but more always push on. And early one morning, so did we. It's really snug in here. We are packed in as tight as sardines. The electric bells signal we're ready. And the cage drops, slowly at first, then picks up speed fast... We plunge 450 stories straight down. It's the longest elevator ride on Earth. This
7: fast. Yeah. Really
3: fast. Yeah. The cage rattles and whistles as we descend. The air gets more humid the deeper we go. Our lifeline to the surface is a machine called the Manwinder. Massive coils of steel rope two inches thick that attach to the cage and unspooled faster and faster. We dropped two miles in a couple of minutes and emerged in an underground city. This is like Grand Central Station in Rush <laughs> To get to the gold, miners must walk miles through a vast maze of dimly lit tunnels. Sometimes you're lucky and can catch a ride, but mostly you just walk. For Leroy Lee, it's in the blood. His father worked in the mines. Now it's his turn. His family depends on his job.
6: My, it's four, six people. It's my kids, my wife, yeah. my and my mother, my sister.
3: The gold in these ultra deep mines is found in narrow veins laced through the rock. Some are no wider than a pencil. It's cramped at the rock face and we crouch alongside the miners as they work hunched over in the dark. The noise from the drills is deafening. Massive air conditioners cool the tunnels, but it can still reach 120 degrees down here. Are
0: you guys ready? Yeah, yeah.
3: At the end of the shift, we had to rush not to miss the elevator back up. It doesn't wait for anyone. And here's where all that breaking rock pays off, the smelter. The ore is smashed and pulverized in a grinder before being fed into a furnace. Manga Kasango, who runs the operation, told us we were the first TV crew to film the weekly ritual they call the poor. We all had to wear these special pajamas with no pockets so we couldn't steal anything. The heat was intense. As the furnace reached almost 2,000 degrees, the gold turned to liquid and poured
4: down into the moulds. When I saw it the first time, I was like, wow, that's something that keeps me going on that. When you hear people who have never seen gold or touched it, I feel
3: like I'm more privileged. These bars will be refined again to 99.99% purity before they're sold for coins and jewelry. The mine used to process about 60 tons of gold a year. Now it's just a quarter of that. Still, the day we watched the pour, there was a pretty good haul. Wow. This is quite heavy yes it is how much is this 11 million rent in US dollars we're talking seven and a half to eight million US dollars for for what you poured today yes definitely that sounds like a good day it's a good business (laughs) (laughs) it's one thing to come here for the gold but now this harsh environment has attracted others scientists hunting for what they call extreme life.
6: We found water that's a billion years old. A billion years old. A billion years old. In these caves. Right.
3: An international team led by Princeton geoscientist Tullis Anstad and Belgian biologist Gaetan Bourgoni are pioneers in the search for life buried in the rock where no one thought it could survive. Bourgoni says his colleagues thought he was crazy when he took a sabbatical to try to prove there was life deep underground.
4: Ah, oh, come on, they said, you're going to go to South Africa for a year. You're going to look for something that does not exist there.
3: They lost count of the number of trips to the bottom of the mines, searching for life hidden in the ancient water seeping through the rock.
4: This is a completely different world down there. There are different rules. How so? The temperature is different, the pressure is different. I mean, it's, it's a tough world down there for life. Oh.
3: The next day, we went along with them to the deepest level of the mine. For them, it was just another day at the office. For us, it was an eye-opener. This feels like that movie, A Journey to the Center of the Earth. (laughs) With just the light from our headlamps, we waded through a tunnel that had been flooded with cold water to cool it down. Then, we grabbed a chairlift cut through a channel of rock Except this one went down. This is like the best Disney ride ever. Picture five of New York's World Trade Center stacked on top of each other. That's how deep in the earth we are. Uh, We're we'll stopped for a second. I hope it's a second. We have to get off? Yeah. When the chair lift stopped suddenly, we had to hike down the last 50 yards to the bottom. Then, at the end of an abandoned tunnel, our scientists found something amazing.
2: I've been looking for 20 years for a salty water deposit like this at depth. Never found it until now.
3: White patches on the wall turned out to be salt.
6: Is that edible? By the neck. They just tried it. You just tried
3: tried it? This is ancient salt.
6: That's the question. It has to be. It's very, very
3: salty. And the source? This dripping salt water. What does that tell you?
6: It tells me this water is extremely old because in these rock formations,
4: Mm. they're formed three billion years ago. There weren't salt deposits
3: back then. They believe this water could be all that's left of an ancient ocean. And where there's water, there can be life.
2: We could be looking at something which has never seen
6: the life that has evolved on the surface of the planet. All from this cave
3: (laughs) two miles down in South Africa. All from gold mines in South Africa. (laughs) Exactly. In 2011, they found what no one thought possible. These tiny worms living in a pocket of water 5,000 years old. What you're seeing is magnified. These worms are no bigger than a human hair. It was a species never before seen. It survives without sunlight, deep in the hot underworld. So they called it Mephisto, or the devil.
4: That's where my worms live. They eat bacteria. The first worm
3: you found was in something like that? Yeah. Using an endoscope camera, they were the first to film this deep inside the Earth's crust. This is the devil worm's home. Before this, no one thought animal life
4: could exist this deep. You made a big discovery. For me, it is big because for me personally, I had to fight quite a lot of people to be able to do this. On a personal level, that was the biggest victory for me. In the total grand scheme of things, it's just a worm. (laughs) It's just a worm. (laughs) It's just a worm.
3: They were surprised to find other living creatures, too. So many, they called them a zoo. A crustacean, about 1 64th of an inch. An arthropod, a flatworm, and single cell bacteria. It set off a storm of speculation about where else extreme life might exist. Perhaps even on Mars. NASA helped
4: fund their research. If there is life here in the deep, then you should definitely dig on Mars, because if life was ever there, you will find some life form, I believe very strongly, still on Mars. So the Martians we meet in the future
3: could be these single-cell yeah. organisms
4: you're talking about. Yes, indeed. I think that would be the most likely. But be prepared to be surprised, I would say.
3: South Africa's gold mines are now so deep they might as well be on another planet.
7: I'm not sure that we really want to send human beings much deeper.
3: Bernard Swanepoel started his career underground and ended it as the CEO of Harmony Gold, which now owns Moab Kotsong.
7: If you are in a successful mining team, it must be like a successful sports team. I mean, mining is one of those activities where at the end of every shift you know whether you won or lost.
3: Gold was the lifeblood of South Africa. The way it's dug out has changed little since apartheid, when underpaid black miners often worked in mortal danger. At its worst, more than 800 workers a year died in mining accidents. No coincidence, the struggle that led to apartheid's defeat started underground. Gold and gold mining seem to be in the, the DNA of South Africa.
7: South African gold mining especially has always been at the center of all political and other activities in our country. I mean, our bad apartheid history is intertwined with gold mining. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the legislation to dispossess black people of land was in order to create cheap labor for South African gold mines. You grew up in
3: a, a small mining town during the era of apartheid. What are your strongest memories?
7: Well, ultimately I'm a privileged person that, because I was white and I was male, those were the two requirements at the time to become a mining engineer.
3: So are you the new face of, of uh, South African mining? I would say yes. You are the new generation in the mining. Yeah. Just a dozen years after apartheid ended, engineer Manga Kasango started managing the smelter. He told us, he chose to move here from the Congo to work in the mines. Has that wound in
4: South Africa been healed? Not uh, 100% healed, but there's some healing happening. There's some healing, yes. Because we have uh, different, uh, different people working in the mines. And the mindset have been changing.
3: Now, safety is paramount. You will find women underground, and blacks are senior managers. Once, some of the lowest-paid laborers are now among the highest. But this generation of gold miners know they may be the last. Of the 11 gold mines that once flourished around here, only three still operate. The mines are now so deep, it's becoming too expensive to get the gold out. The story of the ultra-deep mines is nearing its final chapter. To dig the riches from such astounding depths took grit and brute force. Now, South Africa's resolve must be deployed to solving the next challenge. What to do when the gold runs out.
1: Why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
7: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast